this morning, we received additional signs that the worst may be behind us. Though we lost 247,000 jobs in July, that was nearly 200,000 fewer jobs lost than in June, and far fewer than the nearly 700,000 jobs a month that we were losing at the beginning of the year. Today, we're pointed in the right direction. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt in New York City. And I'm David Kestenbaum in Baltimore. That's right, Planet Money. We cover the whole planet, New York City, Washington, D.C., and even someplace <laughs> in between. Today is Friday, August 7th. Today, we take economics to the doctor. Actually, hang on, I mixed things up. The economics is fine. It's healthcare that's messed up. We are going to take healthcare for a visit to the economists. Yes, healthcare is shaping up to be the economic issue of the summer. And we here at Planet Money, we are interested in economics. The more we keep digging into healthcare, the more economic treasures we are finding. Treasures? Do you really mean treasures? You, don't you mean like like a spider web trap or those Chinese finger traps where you put your fingers in and then you <laughs> right. can't pull them out. Yeah, it's a little messy. Okay, but before we get to the mess, we have to do our indicator, David. It's one of the big ones. It's one we wait for day after day. It is the monthly unemployment rate. The Bureau of Labor Statistics posted it today. It is 9.4% for July, which is down 0.1% from June, contrary to most predictions. Uh, though the White House is saying it still does expect unemployment to peak above 10%. So maybe maybe it's a blip. But we are actually starting to hear from some of you that it feels a little bit like the ice is breaking. One person we talked to, Pam Chosen of Bloomington, Indiana, she's a copywriter. She writes things like ads and junk mail. And she told Laura Conaway here at Planet Money that she's been looking for work nonstop since she got laid off four months ago. And in those four months, I interviewed with uh, a local medical devices company that was looking for uh, an internal marketing person. That was one interview. And I had an interview with an agency in Toledo, Ohio, probably three weeks ago now. And that was it. That was the, the only response I had gotten to all of these dozens of, of inquiries I'd made. And then starting on Monday morning this week, I suddenly got within the space of about two hours, uh, three emails from agencies I'd applied to. One I'd applied to a few weeks ago, uh, a couple I had applied to over the weekend, and they wanted to talk to me, which was just incredibly puzzling. Because so few people had before this. Right. And furthermore, I also heard back from my former employer who wanted to know if I was interested in... uh, doing some contract work for them on a project basis. Answer being? Yes, absolutely yes. Wow, that is so nice to hear, Hannah. (laughs) It is. It's nice to hear somebody sounding happy. Um, I'm going to kill it now, though. We should say that the overall picture for the labor market is not really clear. Already some people are saying unemployment dropped because people gave up on finding work. They just stopped looking. But this is the first decline in 15 months, and... You're right. It feels better than reporting another big increase. Okay. See? Financial crisis? Problem solved. It's on its way to being solved. So, Hannah, next problem, please. (laughs) Right. Let's just move on. Clear our hands of that. The next problem would be health care. Go at it, David. 
All right. So as we hear often from the president, and frankly, as we've heard for years, the cost of health care is rising. It is rising much faster than our economy is growing, which is going at some point, it's going to be a train wreck for us, uh, you and me and for the government, which spends a lot of money on health care every year. Yeah. So basically, there are these two big things that people talk about all the time with healthcare recently. So the two things, how do we get everyone or at least a lot more people covered, insured, and how do we control costs? And it turns out that second question, how to control the costs, it turns out that is a much, much harder question to answer. Right. And the more that I ask people it, the more I get totally overwhelmed. I have felt very close to tears sometimes looking into healthcare and trying to understand it. But so we're going to just take it piece by piece over the next couple of weeks. And today we're going to start talking about hospitals. So just basic hospitals, they're businesses. No way. No, they are they are places of healing, Hana. They are <laughs> healing centers. They are. But, um, you know, son, they don't run on karma. They run on money. Okay, so everybody knows that. But I still feel like that can be kind of easy to forget. So there are nonprofit hospitals and for-profit hospitals, government-run hospitals. But basically, they're all businesses with budgets and expenses. And the person who runs that business is a hospital administrator. And that person, they don't have anything to do with medical decisions. Yeah, yeah, I get it, fat face. And this person, they sit in some office that me as a patient, I never, ever see. Right. But I met one recently. Um, this guy, his name is Daniel Kearns. And we were chatting. He, wor- he worked as a hospital administrator for a bunch of hospitals in the Southwest. He's retired now. Um, and so we were chatting. And I just I asked him, you know, OK, you ran hospitals. Hospitals are big, big spenders in the healthcare system. So how come? What are the costs? What is the hardest part about containing costs? Is it, you know, the uninsured people keeping up with the equipment? What is it? And at first he just said, oh, you know, there are many answers to that question. But then he said, okay, you know what the hardest part of the job is? Dealing with the doctors, the doctors and all their needs. Because basically this guy, Daniel Kearns, he's in a strange position for a business guy because he wants to keep his costs low. He wants to bring in business. Hana, you keep forgetting this is a healing center. We bring in people, we not, not business. These are patients. Right. Okay. So we're not saying hospitals don't care about patients, but they, they are running businesses. And to survive, to bring in business, otherwise known as patients, Daniel Kearns, he needs doctors and preferably specialists. So he can say those three beautiful words that every hospital administrator wants to say, center of excellence. Um, you know, so they could say this doctor has done 2,000 high-risk births. Come here, where the center of excellence and high-risk births or diabetes treatment administrators love those words, and you need doctors to be able to say them. So Kearns, he would recruit these doctors, and the doctors knew their special skills were money makers for people like Kearns. So. You know, when I was talking to him, he just shakes his head. He says, that was the hardest part because they were always asking for things. So I say, like, what? And he says, you know, brand new lab with the best new machines. That sounds totally reasonable. Right. Okay. And then other perks, like he had a doctor who always wanted season tickets to baseball for his wife and his four kids. But then David, and he just he just mumbled this one. One time. A physician requesting that a helicopter be at his disposal for, for transportation so he could avoid traffic. A helicopter. Right. Like a helicopter (laughs) pick me up at my house? Pick me up at my home and take me to the hospital because I don't want to be in traffic in the morning and stuff. And it just became, you know, it's like any... uh, Oh, wait, wait. Why? Why did did he need a helicopter? uh, I think there's a three-letter word, ego. I think I 
Well, I, I know I, I, my response was, this is a joke. You know, this, you know, this isn't happening. You know, I mean, you're just like, you know, and it's almost like one of those things. You're like, well, what, you know, what else could happen today? You know, this is crazy. But it just came, you know, th- you know, and so in order to play the game of retaining that particular physician, that's what he wanted that day. How do you even land a helicopter in like a residential neighborhood? His actually home, his home was large enough where it was located to accommodate it. And they had a landing pad or a mm-hmm. field or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't ride along for sure. <laughs> Wait, so you went ahead with the helicopter? Three trips. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the highlight of my career. You know, you know I mean, it's just, uh, so you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know what it's like, but it's like testing the waters. Hana, a helicopter? You know, I have, I have a friend who works in Hollywood who told me that about a certain movie star that took a helicopter to the set every day. They had to clear out this parking lot for the thing to land. But, I mean, most physicians I know, they drive to work or, or they bike to work or something. Yeah, so so, so Corinne says it, this specialist, he was really valuable. He brought in huge volume for the hospital. And by that, he means, David, patients. By that, he means money. And he really didn't want to lose him. Yeah, but a, a helicopter? Well, okay, so this gets at one of the many, many parts of the healthcare system that economists say is terribly misaligned. Misaligned? Like it needs a cast or something? I feel like uh, you're going to bring in the economist now. <laughs> you're so on it, David. Okay, Tom McGuire, he's our guy today. He's a healthcare economist at Harvard. I told him this helicopter story, and he said, oh my God, that completely signifies how weird this hospital doctor relationship is because most doctors aren't employed by the hospital. I didn't actually realize this, but usually most of the doctors in any particular hospital, they are not employees of that hospital, so they get to choose where they want to practice. And the hospital is really desperate to get to say those three beautiful words, center of excellence. So people like Kearns, it leaves him in a really weird position. He can't pay them directly to admit patients. That's considered a kickback. So we have this weird system where it isn't like you and I, you know, sure, all of us might like to get a helicopter ride to work. Yeah, I think my commute actually down to down to <laughs> DC it would probably be about fifteen minutes or Forget something. Yes, it, okay, I would David, l- you would never get the helicopter ride. I know. Um, because you're a paid employee like most people. So here's Tom McGuire, the Harvard economist. Lots of people would like these things. I would love to be helicoptered into my work every day. But no one would people would laugh at me if I asked that. My employer writes me a paycheck and if I do well and the employer wants to reward me and keep me, the mechanism they do that with is a conventional employee-employer relationship. In the case of hospitals and doctors, that doctor probably doesn't work at the hospital. The doctor probably doesn't get a paycheck directly from the hospital. There's a kind of exchange taking place. The doctor is permitted to do his work in the hospital and his operations. He doesn't pay for the resources he uses because he brings in patients who then have insurance that pays the hospital. But there's no, there's no kind of no way to balance the employee-employer relationship in a conventional way. So hospitals are led to uh, provide inducements and rewards to doctors outside of a normal wage. It's kind of an exchange. I'll bring you my patients, and you get to bill for the hospital portion of those services. That's what the doctor brings to the hospital. And what the hospital gives to the physician is the um, free resources. Hospitals are independent a corporate entity that's opening its door to doctors and says, sure, come in here and do your work, and we're not going to charge you anything to do that. Yeah, free resources, which include our helicopter. It, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> okay, so, so why, David? Why doesn't it feel right? 
let me play the enraged listener here. It's ridiculous. I mean, what? Why? Because he doesn't want to be in traffic for five minutes. Forget it. It's just. Uh, it's. It's. It's too much luxury for a doctor. Yeah. Okay. So uh, of course, you know, right away when I hear the story, I'm rolling my eyes because to me it just sounds lavish and silly. Um, but then I was talking to Daniel Kearns, the hospital administrator, and he said this thing which made me realize that there is actually a much better reason to be annoyed by this and one we strangely don't think of first. Because it's coming out of patient care, essentially. I mean, as far as the funding, that the, the hospital gets its money by billing patients. That's the bottom line. That's the reality. You know, that's but it's not really thought of that way. You know, I mean, you, you know, you don't, a patient wouldn't necessarily look up and see a helicopter. Well, I, I paid for that. So then things, like I say, it, it became a clandestine, you know, where it wasn't advertised, where it wasn't. And but that's the thing is that the patient wouldn't look up and think I paid for that. Mm-hmm. But the doctor also probably wouldn't ride in that helicopter and think, haha, patients, you're all paying for this. No. It's like nobody is actually thinking right. about where that money right. is coming it from. Become, you know, it's, I have my ego fulfilled and that's my reality. It's just not the way the system should have run. So this is the thing that Daniel Kearns kept saying over and over when we were talking, that his trial as an administrator was that he was the only one thinking about cost. The doctor gets free resources. He's going to use them, and he's going to push those limits to the max. And the patient doesn't think, you know, oh, that's coming out of my pocket. So Kearns says, you know, I am all alone in thinking about containing costs here. Wait, wait. Well, I mean... Daniel Kearns, he he cares about containing his costs, but he is paying for the helicopter, right? Because his job is to make a profit for the hospital. So he cares about containing costs for his hospital, say, for a procedure or something, but he doesn't care. It's not his job to care about containing costs for the collective whole. So his motivations are to make money for his hospital, and if he needs to buy helicopter rides to do that, if that makes economic sense, yes, so he should he, be doing that. He will do that, which, which you know, at least he'll consider doing that. And Tom McGuire, the economist, he says that that this is basically, you know, it's like marketing costs for the hospital. The hospitals, they're fighting over market share. And no, paying for a helicopter to help this one hospital does not help contain costs for the collective whole. That money is coming from you and I. We're paying taxes that pay for Medicare, that pay doctors, and we're paying premiums that pay hospitals, that pay doctors. Hannah, you know what one economist told me? He said the whole problem with the system is that everyone is spending someone else's money. Yeah, and that's true for doctors, and it's true for hospitals, and it's also true for patients, which Tom McGuire told me about. Patients have insurance, and that protects them against all of the immediate costs of their care. Patients don't know what the cost of the staff in the operating room is, what the cost of the machines are, let alone the cost of the hospital. And we do that because we want to insure patients against, against financial risk. McGuire says this is one of the fundamental problems with healthcare resource allocation. So there's this trade-off happening between protecting people against financial risk and then transmitting to them incentives to be careful when they use services. So you can either cover people and have them not really think about costs, or you cannot cover them and have them think about costs, but then they're subject to all this financial risk. And that's just, you know, an insurance problem in general. You get in an accident with your insured car, you're going to try to get the most expensive, best repairs that the insurance company will pay for. So, so you know, participating in the healthcare market is more like that than walking into a supermarket with cash in your hand. 
because if it, if it were like buying one thing over another, you probably wouldn't decide to be handing your money to a doctor so he could ride a helicopter <laughs> to work. Exactly. So, but basically, McGuire says that means that it can't be left up to the patient to control costs. If we think it's important, as we do, to protect patients against financial risk when they become sick, then almost uh, it follows immediately that they're not going to be concerned with the cost when they use care. So somebody else has to be minding that store. So, Hannah, there, there are people, of course, who, who would argue with McGuire on that, who think there are ways to drive health care costs down by giving the patients more um, economists who call it skin in the game, making them maybe pay a greater share of things. So maybe they'll choose a drug that's not quite as good, but it's a lot cheaper or something like that. But let's just say for the moment, you know, system as it is now, the patient is not going to be concerned with keeping costs down. And it looks like the hospital isn't going to do it. And the doctors aren't going to do it. So who is left minding the store? We've been thinking about this a lot. And economically here, I think if you ask that question, who would have the strong incentive to drive down costs and keep the quality of healthcare high at the same time? That player here would be the insurance companies, because if they can provide cost-effective care, they can charge you and me less. They should be able to beat their competitors. They can get more people to sign up with them. Maybe they can make more profits. So that's the way you think it might work. Um, it hasn't quite worked that way, and we're going to actually leave you to puzzle over why it doesn't because we are still puzzling over that one. Um, I have done a bunch of interviews, and we are going to bring that stuff to you on a future podcast. Yes. Okay. So, But in the meantime, we would love to hear your economic perspectives on healthcare, on insurance companies, on doctors who fly helicopters, whatever you would like to tell us. You can email us at planetmoney@npr.org. And check out our blog at npr.org slash money. It is chock full of charts about the labor market and stories from you folks about what it's really like out there. That's npr.org slash money. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Fana Joffe Walt. Thanks for listening. Because it's one thing to start it with a positive jam, and it's another thing to see it through. And we couldn't have even done this if it wasn't for you. Mm-hmm.